Here's the three things I want to point out to you today. We're going to talk about the great sin. We're going to talk about the divine solution. And we're going to talk about our response. Ready for this? Let's start with the great sin. So, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in this book, it's actually, um, basically the content of the book is from his talks that he gave on the BBC just after uh, London experienced what was called the Blitz, which was months and months of bombings. And it's crazy, World War II, right? Sounds like where we're at today, right? I mean, this is what was happening when C.S. Lewis said this on the radio, and the reason the BBC brought him on was actually to bring comfort to those who were living in that world that was being bombed, right? So anyways, he talked about pride, and there, there are some of the best words outside of the Bible that I think you can read on pride. Let me just read you some of these words here. There is one vice, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which every one in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. The Christians are right. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you don't know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Come on. This stuff is so good. And C.S. Lewis is basically just explaining what we find in page after page after the Bible. And in fact, I'm going to show you a tool I created. We'll call it the pride tool. And I have scripture references, bottom right-hand side of the screen. So if you want to see these elements represented in scripture, you can go to these references. Here are some major elements of pride. The first is an inflated view of one's abilities and worth. Overinflated view, which leads to a low view of other people's ability and worth, which then leads to, and I should have put this in the third circle going around the overall circle. I should have put, it leads to self-reliance and an attitude of entitlement. Because if I'm above everybody else, my worth and ability, then I start to begin to think that I can rely on myself, 
and that I'm entitled to basically whatever I want. If you keep going around, pride wants what others have and more. C.S. Lewis, if you were to read the whole chapter in Mere Christianity on the great sin, he talks about how pride is inherently competitive. And pride is not just satisfied with being rich or good looking, it's only satisfied in being richer and better looking than the next person. It's competitive. Which leads then to, I am great, so I want self-glory, I want glory for myself. And then it leads to, I want power over other people, and I'm willing to step on people to elevate myself. Um, what's happening in our world? I want more. Why is Russia going into Ukraine? This is at the heart of everything that's wrong in the world. It's the great sin, and it leads to all other sins. It's the great vice. Okay. One of the things that makes this such a nasty issue and sin problem is because it's hard to detect in yourself. You can see it in other people quite que quite queerly, sorry. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but to see it in your own self, it is really difficult to detect. And then... If you happen to even notice it in yourself, it's even harder to remove it from yourself. Think about it. This is what happens. If you detect it in yourself and you start making progress towards the removal of it, what happens? You become proud about your progress. <laughs> it's nasty. And so, the only way that this great sin can be removed from our lives is if something outside of ourselves does the removal process for us, does the heavy lifting. Because without something outside of us, we're probably not going to see it, first of all. And if we do see it, we're not going to be able to remove it. And if somehow we make some progress toward it, we'll get proud about our progress. <laughs> Only God is capable of removing pride from the human heart. Now, how, so that's the chief sin, what's the divine solution? How does God go about removing pride from the human heart? You guys are not going to like this. And neither do I. He uses the wilderness. That's God's divine solution to the human problem of pride. Why does God use the wilderness? Well... If you were to look at verse 2, Moses stated that the reason that God placed the Israelites into the wilderness was to do two things. To test and to humble them. Evidently, the Israelites were much like us. They, they struggled with pride. And it needed to be removed from them. What does a test do? Think about it. When you test something, what are you doing? You are revealing the condition of the thing that is being tested. That's what tests do. They reveal the quality of something. And so the wilderness provides ideal conditions to reveal the condition of the human heart. Think about a literal wilderness like the Israelites were in. It's vast. It's lonely. There's very few resources right? It's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, it's dangerous. 
In verse 15, Moses describes the literal wilderness that the Israelites went through. He says, it was great, it was terrible, there were fiery serpents, scorpions, thirsty land, and no water. Does not sound like an ideal family camping trip for 40 years, does it? No. But the conditions were just right to reveal the true nature of the Israelites' hearts. And under the discomfort and the stress of the wilderness, what was revealed? The Israelites had pride. Because you know what? It was revealed and how it manifested itself is that they were always complaining to God and to Moses. Always angry. Even though God provided for them day in and day out. Their feet didn't even get sore. And they wandered for 40 years. They had everything they needed. And yet, angry fists to God. The pride, when we're complaining against him, what are we saying? I know better than you, and you're not treating me the way that I know I should be treated. I know better than you, God. They relied on their own judgment in the wilderness, which is another form of pride. God was saying, go into the promised land. They sent spies out. Oh, no, we can't. There's, the enemy in that land is too great. They're, they're relying on their own self-judgment. So we see pride manifesting itself in that way with the Israelites. We see them then worshiping, you know, they made the golden calf, and you see all that kind of, it, there's just a lot of pride there. We know better than you, God. We deserve more than what you're giving us. Now, our wilderness experiences may not be literal wilderness experiences. Most likely, you will not get lost in the wilderness unless you're, you know, an avid outdoorsman, and then there's a chance you will. But the wilderness experiences we go through in life are more in the form of, let's say, <laughs> relational conflict, deadlines at work that put an enormous amount of stress on us, a loss of something, loss of a job, loss of a reputation, loss of a relationship. These are the sort of, sort of wilderness experiences that we Endure. You could be in the wilderness of dealing with a mental health issue or a physical issue. There's so many different wilderness scenarios that we can find ourselves in. Now, I want to be clear on this. If you are in one of those, it doesn't necessarily mean that your sin puts you there. If we made that statement in judgment, we'd be doing the same thing that Job's friends did. And they were wrong. We can be in the wilderness because of another person's sin. <coughs> Look at the people in Ukraine. Are you, we can't say that they're in their wilderness experience because of their sin. Some of those people in Ukraine. No, it's, it's somebody else's sin that's causing them to be there. However, our own sin can and often does put us in the wilderness. Um, and when we're in the wilderness, the reason why it's so powerful to reveal the character in our own heart is because when we're in the wilderness, we're just trying to survive. And we don't have the mental energy and bandwidth to cover up who we really are like we can in most circumstances of life where there is no stress and no pressure. I love what Kerry Newhoff, he's a leadership coach and a, and a leadership business consultant, I believe. I think he does stuff with churches as well. Um, he, he said this, when I prepare for a meeting, a Sunday morning, or even time out with friends or family, I can usually pull myself together quite nicely for the occasion. It can lead me to believe I got my character under control. But nothing reveals character like a crisis. 
I find that when I'm under pressure, I learn more about myself, my cracks, my weaknesses, my true motivations than at any other time. And here's my favorite part of what he says. The temptation is to convince ourselves that our reactions under pressure are the exception to the rule. You are under stress. It happens so quickly. But I think they reveal more about us than we care to admit. What if those crisis points were a window into what God wants to do next in our lives? What if we didn't dismiss them but saw them as a huge window for growth? Right? Um, I got a technical coaching this past Saturday. Now, I would love to stand here and say, look, it was late, I was tired, the officials were horrible, that I was justified. This is an exception to the rule. For record, I've never gotten a technical coaching, and I plan not to get one again. But. <laughs> What I have to do is say, no, under that minimal pressure, come on, sixth grade basketball? <laughs> that came out? The truth is, there's something in my heart that needs to be dealt with. And I can make all the excuses I want and say, oh, that's not my true character. Right? All right. So now you know. I'm always preaching to myself up here. All right, here we go. So God takes us in the wilderness to reveal the true condition of our hearts, to reveal our character. Does he take us out in the wilderness to leave us out there and die just like the Israelites thought that that's what God was doing? No, he doesn't because the wilderness also not just reveals our character, it develops our character. That's why he takes us into the wilderness, right? Tests not only reveal, a character, reveal character, but also develop character. God tests us to reveal the pride in our hearts so he can develop deep humility in us. Okay? What did the Israelites need to learn? They needed to learn that they don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Who provides his word is what provides bread. They needed to learn that. They needed to become totally God-dependent. Why did they need to become totally God-dependent? Here's why. They would, for sure, I mean, they ruined the promised land, but for sure, if that pride was not dealt with, it would have been quicker than it even was. And so the reason that God was trying to, you know, working to rid them of pride is because he wanted them to be successful in the promised land. He wanted them to really be able to enjoy the blessing he was about to give them. And if you read our passage, it talks about how awesome the promised land was going to be for the Israelite people. But if they're still prideful and not relying on God, they're not going to be able to enjoy God in his blessings. And that is why God wants to rid you of pride. It's one of the reasons. He actually wants you to enjoy life. How about that? God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be full of joy. He came to give life and to give it to the full. But if you're full of pride, you're not going to enjoy the blessings that he gives you. Because you're going to take them. You're going to say, I'm the reason for them. And it's going to cause you not to enjoy them. You're going to feel entitled to them. 
You can't enjoy God's blessing. And then you're going to make a mess of them. You'll make a mess of the blessing of your marriage. You'll make a mess of the blessing of your kids. You'll make a mess of the blessing of your career. Your relationships. It'll just go on down the line. That's why God wants to develop humility in us. There's another reason, though, too. And we'll see it in another circle that is about to pop up. Um, and so... Let me say this. God wants you to have a life that is a magnet that attracts other people to him. If you were to read in our passage the reason that God was taking the Israelites through the wilderness and leading them into the promised land was so that he could fulfill the covenant he made to Abraham, who was the ancestor of the Israelite people. What promise did God make to Abraham? If you go back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you will find the promise. And the promise was through you, Abraham, and your descendants, the Israelites, I will bless all nations. You see, God is bringing us through the wilderness because he wants us to have such deep humility, such deep, awesome, amazing character that when people bump into us and rub shoulders with us, they're like, there is something different about that person and I want what they have and so I need to find out. And then they can be led to Jesus. There's another reason why God wants to reveal and develop your character in the wilderness. And that's about to pop up. And it is this. You see, the ultimate promised land for us as believers is the new heavens and new earth. Where we will rule with Jesus over the new world. That will have no more war, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. And if we're going to be fit to rule with God for eternity over the new heavens and new earth, our character has to be such that we won't mess it up. And so we are journeying through this life and we're going through this being changed from one state of glory to another so that we eventually become fit to rule with Jesus when he returns. This is why God's bringing you through the wilderness. So don't waste it. Don't waste the wilderness. How do you not waste it? Let's go to our response, and then we'll be done. So, in the wilderness, we have a choice to make. We, be, we can become bitter, or we can become better. In the wilderness, most of the Israelites decided to become bitter. Few, a few, a remnant, decided to become better. How do we choose to become better in the wilderness? Well, the answer is through repentance and belief. Mm -hmm. Repentance and belief. So, if you're in a wilderness experience right now, it may not be because it may not be due to some character flaw in you, but it just may be. And so it's important when you're in a wilderness to ask God, is there anything in my own doing that has caused me to be going through this difficulty, hardship? Have I played a role in it? And if God reveals to you, yes, there is this, then you need to own it. Admit it. Say, yeah, you're right. And then the next step is you need to turn from it which means you need to abandon it. It means you are going this way and you're living and you're about to do a U-turn I'm forsaking that and I'm headed this way towards God. That's the repent part. 
The belief part is I am choosing to trust that Jesus died on the cross for me so that all of my prideful ways could be forgiven once and for all. And I'm throwing myself upon him and his grace. And I believe that he lives again and he reigns from heaven and he is able to transform me into a person that has real deep humility. And I am trusting in his grace to empower me to do that as I seek to live for him. That is the trust part. And then I go to the obey part. I am committing by the grace that God supplies to live out his commands that are all about humility when you think of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it looks like to live a humble life. Right? Seek not only your good but the good of others. That's what it looks like to live a humble life. I'm, I'm committing myself to living that out with the grace that God supplies. And then as part of that obey part, all right, if that's, if I'm supposed to live with humility, what does that look like for me in this next week? You got to bring it down all the way to the street level and you got to know what your natural next step is or you will do nothing with it. What um, conversations do you have coming up at work? Where you're going to have to exhibit humility. What conversations in your marriage do you need to have? And you're going to have to embody deep humility to have them and do them well. What relationships in your life are strained? That humility on your part is required to mend and restore that relationship. This is how you bring it to the street level. 